Ladies and gentlemen, what you see here is a little reflection of maybe something I got to experience um, in this past week. But before we get too far down the road in this conversation this morning, I'll just go ahead and ask you, what, what vibe are you feeling right now? What kind of, what kind of you know, way are you taking when you see this chair and you know this little action right here? What, what comes to mind? Spring break. Spring break. I heard the beach. Did I hear somebody say paradise? <laughs> yeah, baby, paradise. That's exactly right. This right here, ladies and gentlemen, is a little something we call a pool chair, okay? And if you're like me, uh, you can do some serious reading by the pool in one of these. I'm not the kind of person that can go to the pool and work. Some people are able to do that. That is not Andy. It doesn't happen. You know why? Because when my, when my mind and my eyes, my body sees this chair, one thing begins to happen. <sighs> relaxation. There's just not a, whew, there's not a care in the world. In fact, I'm just gonna ease into this thing. I've got my Jack Reacher book right here. I've got my little cabana drink. Mm. It's just water. <laughs> That's just water. Maybe some communion. No, not really. You guys, when, when we see a pool chair like this, we immediately think of, of just kind of chilling, do we not? I had the pleasure uh, of going on my very first cruise uh, a week ago. Never been on a cruise before. The whole family went. It was amazing. And I burned through some books. And I kicked it in a chair, literally just like this. And I went to Target afterwards um, because I was like, I'm going to have to get a chair for church. And if you had stumbled into Target on Friday afternoon, you would have seen me trying out the gliders. Really, I mean, the pool gliders in front of everybody didn't even care. Was trying it out. And one other thing, I don't know if you grew up in the 80s. We had chairs just like this. And they were everywhere, especially at hotels, were they not? Does this not think, make you think of like the hotel pool chair? Because I grew up in a smoking family, right? And so I think of all the hotels I stayed at with the grated little, the grated table with like a little mesh grate and the ashtrays on them. Does anybody ever think of that? <laughs> I know that's like a small random detail, but it's what I think of when I think of pool chairs uh, growing up uh, in the 80s. Okay, that has nothing to do with the sermon. We're talking about chilling. And the reality is, as great as this sounds, and you need moments like this in your life where you're just able to unplug and not care, but the truth is, you do need to care about things. And most of us build our lives, honestly, if we can just really be honest with each other, we build our lives in such a way where we're trying to live this life. Not like you've got a vacation for a few days or for a week. We build our lives with, the, with this mentality and this idea that if I can just get to dot, 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 oh man, life would just be so great. But God has not made you to be the kind of person that 
has no responsibility. God hasn't made you to be passionless. He actually hasn't made you to be workless. People benefit and need to work. There is joy in work that's worth doing. You guys with me this morning? Now, key word, work worth doing. God has designed you to be a passionate person. It doesn't mean you've got to be in the front row on Sundays with your hands raised. It doesn't mean you've got to be the fist bump guy, right? That's a, that's kind of a little more my speed. I'm down. I'm with you for it. Not everybody has to be wired that way, but there should be something about your relationship with God, your spiritual investment that has a measure of passion, that has a measure of vitality to it. In other words, it shouldn't be boring and it shouldn't be flat and static. And the only way that that happens is by learning to not live spiritually in this chair. But the truth is, many times we find ourselves, spiritually speaking, shifting into cruise mode. Oh, isn't it nice? You want to go to church? Babe, should we go to church today? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I don't know. What do you think? I don't really care. We could just watch on TV. Okay, cool. Let's go sit on the couch. Oh, just chilling. You should, would you like to be on a service team and begin to serve and, you know, give some time and energy back into other people to love your neighbor at your church or, or in your, your community? Can you, you do that? Serving, I mean, that, that sounds cool, I guess. Maybe, sure, whatever. You should grow in giving and stretch yourself to give and make a difference. No thanks. I'm happy right here. Just shifting into the neutral gear and just cruising. You should be in a life group. No thanks, I'm good. I'm great. You should dot, 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 fill in the blank. All of these ways to grow and to be engaged and to show up and to be a part of something and the natural drift. And I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. The natural drift is to shift into this chair, not just spiritually, but in every area of your life. The drift for humans is this chair. And it requires some real work to get out of it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the chair of apathy. And when we look at problems facing this generation, and I include myself in it, apathy is actually one of our greatest problems. Anxiety is one, and apathy is the other. Literally two extremes. I care so much that I'm freaking out and I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed and my senses are overwhelmed. And then the opposite is also true. Apathy is where you just don't care about anything. Nothing moves you. 
And when we look at the exodus of people in the church, much of it is not morality problems. The problem isn't necessarily the worship or the music or the preaching and all these things. It's this little thing that has crept into our hearts called apathy, and we just no longer seem to care. It's like we just don't know how to feel anymore. You guys with me this morning? You tracking with me? I can pass out a little coconut beverage, you know, if you need to just, you know, you need a little something. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 today. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Ephesus. And this is what he says in chapter 5. It's one of the only letters that's written to the early church that's not addressing this big, specific, seismic problem that exists in the church. So that there's all kinds of things that are being addressed in the Bible, right? But this is a general letter that is written to the church in Ephesians, and it's passed around all of these other churches. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. I love that. Find out what makes God happy and do it. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In other words, the days are dark. And when you look around, evil is such a big, heavy word, isn't it? We, we, we look at that word and we're like, oh my gosh, evil. But yet you can look around even right now and we can see dysfunction, right? We look around and you're thinking, oh my gosh, how does this make any sense? What are my children growing up in right now, right? We have these conversations, but what is it that Paul says? He says, wake up, oh sleeper. In other words, get out of this chair. Do not fall asleep. He's writing this to the church in Ephesus, and it's being passed around to all the different churches in all the cities in all of Asia Minor, and they are reading this, and somebody would be standing in the synagogue and reading, wake up, oh sleeper. Why? Because the propensity for every single person is to begin to fall asleep. The very things that you are passionate about with God have now gone to bed. And you just fall asleep. Wake up, oh sleeper. My paraphrase, let the light of Christ shine on you. What, oops, what do you do when you're trying to get up? You open up the curtains. And what comes through the window? The sun. Right? I can't, I can't sleep with any light in a room. I don't know if you're like that. I mean, I, even like an alarm clock light, no thanks. I have to put a shirt over it or something. I cannot sleep a wink with light in the room. I also have no trouble waking up. I'm an early bird. So oddly enough, I can't fall asleep in the darkness, but yet I can wake up 
and it's still pitch black outside. I got no issues here. And I'm up and I'm bouncing around and I'm making my coffee. But as soon as the sun, you know, begins to emerge, bam, get those curtains open. Ah, it's a new day. Feeling fresh. Spiritually speaking, wake up. Let the light of Christ shine on you. Apathy creeps into your soul. It's going to happen. And the only way to fight it is one decision at a time. Here's what I, I, I dropped the big idea for you. Now, I, I want to explain this from an organizational standpoint. So, so here's a big picture, and then I'm going to bring it down small for you. You guys ready? You guys tracking? This is a little analytical today. It's a two-part message, even though we're in a series, but next week we'll be talking a little bit about this as well, but from a different angle, because it's such an important thing. Our teens are growing up not caring about anything but what's on TV and, and video games, right? We've got to inspire and lead and, and open the curtains, so to speak, not only for our hearts and, and, and our generation, but for the generation coming behind us. Amen? There was a store growing up for me that was the jam. It was like the target of today. A little something called J.C. Penny. J.C. Penny's, as a matter of fact. We went to Penny's all the time. You didn't call it J.C. Penny's, you just called it Penny's. Right? Now, growing up in the Midwest, you know, Penny's was a big deal. One of their big, you know, HQ headquarter places was, was in downtown St. Louis. Look at this picture of J.C. Penny's that we have. I pulled it for you literally this morning. It's coming up right now as I wave my hand. It's not coming up, but eventually it will. There it is, right? That is a J.C. Penny's. 13 stories with each story, excuse me, seven stories. I don't know how many stories, but it's a lot of stories. And each one is the size of a football field. It's about 860,000 square feet. That is a behemoth of a building. And yet if you know the story of J.C. Penny's, they have, they've been bankrupt now, right? They can't seem to catch a break. What is going on with this company? If you, if you watched, um, you know, 30, Miracle on 34th Street, a Christmas movie, and you saw the Macy's Day, you know, parade and the Macy's building and all that feeling, that's how Penny's used to be. It was just historic and fun. And, and, and I realized times have changed. I get that. Yet when you look at the organizational decisions made, it's produced something in people that used to care about pennies that no longer do. Look at some of the things that took place in the last 10 years. This is a, this is a, a big conversation happening on, in business classes right now at university level. J.C. Penney, they changed its advertisements. They changed how they advertise and who they advertise to. Small decision, no big deal. They changed their logo. No big deal, right? It's just their brand. No biggie. Even though it's a company that's been around for a hundred years. They began to change who they advertise to. They changed their logo. They changed their pricing model. They changed the brands that they offered. They ended coupons and clearance sales. What is happening in the world right now if you don't have a clearance sale, right? Okay. They changed all of these things and people 
no longer identified with the company that they used to love and they, they just didn't care. And so they've been bringing in CEO after CEO to kind of right the ship. But little decision after little decision after little decision and it produced an apathetic response from people who once loved pennies to now, where do you want to go? You want to, you want to get some clothes from pennies? No, I don't really care. You're indifferent. You guys with me this morning? How does apathy happen? That's at the organizational level, the business level. One not so great decision at a time. And all of a sudden, one little thing, one little thing, and one little thing, and you're sitting in this chair. But does the opposite also happen? Can you get out of this chair one decision at a time as well? There is this tension that exists with, 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 with you having an experience with God and being transformed and having a moment. And I don't want to discount that because we're going to talk about that next week. But I also want to talk to you this morning about the power of just making really good, godly, and wise decisions one after the other after the other. And you just begin to build a life that has a foundation of honoring God little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. It's amazing the cumulative effect of just obeying God and being faithful in one decision after the next. Look at it again from an organizational standpoint. In 1908, British riders, if you like to bike or cycle, they'd only won a one gold medal at the Olympics. One time for cycling. In 110 years, nobody had ever won a Tour de France. In fact, they were so underwhelming that top bike manufacturers didn't even want them wearing their jerseys, their equipment. They didn't want them to even, they didn't want their brand on their bikes or on their jersey. That's bad, okay? You're so bad, it hurts us to sponsor you. So no thanks, go ride on your own. <laughs> okay. But everything changed in 2003. When Dave Brailsford was hired as the team's performance director, and he employed the aggregation of marginal gains, where they decided they would try to increase, they would improve by 1% in every single area of their cycling game. 1%, that's it. Just 1%. And so they redesigned the bike seats to do what? To be more comfortable. They rubbed alcohol on their tires for better grip. They wore electrically heated shorts to maintain ideal muscle temperature. They tested fabric and wind tunnels. They switched to indoor racing suits even when they were racing outdoors because they were lighter and they were more aerodynamic. They tested massage gels for faster muscle recovery. They hired a surgeon to teach their riders how to best wash their hands so that they could avoid getting colds as much as possible. They also hired a sleep expert to help them get the best pillows and mattresses for maximum nights of sleep. Can somebody say, give me that, right? I want that action. 
They, they did all of these things, and very few of them are condition-related. Meaning, like, we're not talking about you getting bigger muscles in this moment. They're literally looking and assessing every area of their life, and they're saying, okay, how can we get 1% better? And so they worked to increase. And here's what happened. I love this. Five years after Brailsford took over as a performance director, the cycling team dominated the road and track event at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, if you remember it. They won 60%, having only won one prior. They won 60% of every gold medal. Four years later, and in London, they, were nine, they won nine Olympic records, seven world records, and Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to ever win the Tour de France. Next year, his teammate won the race, and then he won it again in 2015. 2016, and 2017. And in 10 years, their British cycling team won 178 world championships, 66 Olympic medals, and, and Paralympic gold medals, and they took home five Tour de France victories in what is considered the most dominant and successful run in cycling history. Now, I'm not a cycling guy. I was just why I had to read that for you, because I would have, I would have jacked all that up. But I love hearing about this idea of stretching yourself to just get a little bit better, to get a little bit more faithful, to get a little bit more obedient. And obviously, I am applying that to the spirit world, okay? I'm applying that as a pastor. And I realize you can hear this message, and it sounds like Andy is telling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, or that this is a self-help gospel. And, and I don't want you to hear it as such, because the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you in a moment is real, and it is powerful. But there is also something that many times Christians forget, and that is that you've got to get out of this chair. When Paul says, wake up, O sleeper, he doesn't say, God, wake them up. He says, wake you, wake up, O sleeper. In other words, stop hitting snooze on your alarm. You get up, open those curtains and, and begin getting a little bit more faithful. And what's amazing that happens in the same way that, that you get a, a little bit apathetic for every decision that you're making where you're no longer praying. You're no longer in the Bible. You're no longer going to a life group. You're no longer going to church. All of these things just suddenly become optional and they just become this thing that, yeah, I can kind of do that. Sure. And you just, all of a sudden, you're sleeping again right here. But how do you get out of it? In the same way that the cycling team just began to assess their life and then began to look at the 1% difference. What can I begin doing? It doesn't have to be this earth-shattering, huge, earth-splitting, heaven-opening moment with God. I can literally just start to be more faithful right here and right here and right here. And what is amazing when you begin to do this and you, you begin to layer it in your life, you get out of this and all of a sudden, it's not this, it's not this transformative lightning bolt, but you, you look back at your life and you realize, I feel a lot better. I'm a little bit more invested and I'm a little bit more passionate and, and this chair that I was sitting in where I was so asleep and feeling a little discouraged and a little bit depressed, I'm not in it anymore. 
I'm feeling a little something again. How does that happen? By just being faithful. Little bit by little bit by little bit. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. He says, let love be genuine. He's just rocking a list right here for us. Abhor what is evil. I'm going to love that word. Abhor. Abhor what is evil. I mean, what a word. Detest. Reject it. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection or sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He's just hitting us with a list, right? In other words, in the same, the same cycling list, we're like, we're going we're gonna to put alcohol in our tires and we're going to look at the mattress and we're going we're gonna to figure out how to wash our hands better. We're going to make better seats. Paul is saying like, look, Start here. Do these things. Hate what's evil. Don't do that. Love honestly. Reject sin. Hold on to the good stuff. Let that dominate your mind. Don't don't dwell on all the bad things right now. Love each other like family. Honor one another. Don't be lazy. Serve God by serving others. Be joyful. Be patient in the hard times. Pray a lot. Like don't stop praying. Pray a lot. Give sacrificially. Show hospitality. There's nothing on this list that is seismic, is there? You're not hearing that list and you're blown away. They're all little things. And I'm telling you, if you would just 1% better, 1% better, and just a little bit more this way, and I'm going to stretch myself a little bit more this way. You see the same principle in the gym. You want to break through? You want to lose weight? You don't just lose weight because you wake up and you decide. Most people don't. I'm going to rock this huge life-changing diet. And you might hit it for a day or two, and then you're off the wagon, right? What do people always say? It's a lifestyle change. And you just, little bit by little bit, I'm getting better how I eat. I'm getting better with what I drink. I'm getting a little bit more exercise. I'm walking just a little bit more, and the pounds just little bit by little bit begin to come off. And when it comes to spiritual faithfulness, just love a little bit better. Give a little more sacrificially. Honor one another. Reject what is... Stop doing that thing that you know isn't right. Get a little bit better at it. Be a little more faithful. And what's amazing is you wake up and you suddenly feel a little more alive. You're no longer sitting in this chair. We underestimate the power of godly decisions made regularly over the course of time. So what do we do? We build spiritual rhythms. That's how we do this. We build spiritual rhythms of faithfulness and we continue to just challenge ourselves to get a little bit better. Next week, I am going to talk about the different side of it. This is the rhythm, but there is another experience that's revelation. We see that too. An encounter with God that you also need, that changes you, that opens your eyes, that, that, is, that is powerful on the inside. But for many of us, 
I am taking my time to pound this today. Because for most of us, that if you grew up going to church, we oftentimes sit in this chair and we wait for something to happen to us that suddenly is going to move us. I was talking to a family member. I, I'm working to lose weight, full confession. It's not easy at 42. My metazolone doesn't do what it used to do. It just doesn't. I wish it did, but it doesn't. I can't eat the way I did when I was, when I was 20. And I was talking to, to a friend, and they, had, you know, they were going to a nutritionist, and their nutritionist said to them, if you are waiting at your age to want to get up and work out and eat right, you will never be healthy. Don't say that to me. (laughs) No, I don't want to hear that. That's hard truth to hear. Because the truth of the matter is, I had been waiting like somehow to feel motivated to get up and to do it. And the truth is, it's work. It's just work, and it's work I don't want to do, but yet it's so rewarding at the same time. And there comes a moment when you put your faith in Jesus, right, where everything feels like it's a honeymoon stage. If if you're new to faith, you see God everywhere. God is just everywhere. God is in this coffee. God is in this place. God, God speaking to me, I read the Bible and it's like the Shekinah glory of God just shows up and I, I hear him and I feel him and it's this amazing thing. And yet studies show between psychologists, pastors, and theologians, the very same people, I just read the journal article today, the same people who feel God's presence in the first year of putting their faith in him. At about the four and five year mark, also report feeling so dry on the inside. How does that happen? Because God allows you to, the the, the honeymoon moment, it is amazing. And then he begins, he doesn't produce true distance from you, but he, he, he makes it so that you have to now begin doing a bit more in this relationship. And you begin to see the things in your heart that still need a lot of work. And yet, if you're not careful, what happens is the discouragement that this relationship requires a little bit of work. Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so all of a sudden, this working out of things, I'm thrown for a loop and I'm a little discouraged by it. My spiritual metabolism has changed. And now I have to work? Ooh. But you do. You've got to invest in this thing. And so this morning, while we will speak about the transformative revelation power of God in your life, next week, this week, is about you doing the work of opening the curtains, spiritually speaking, and waking up to the beauty of Jesus in your life, but by doing it one little bit at a time. Stand to your feet for me, church. We see Daniel in the Bible. 
We see Daniel being a man of faithful prayer. He gets on his knees and he prays. We see, we see Jesus time and time again. What is he doing? He's removing himself from the crowd and he's praying and he's being faithful and he's spending time with his heavenly father. We see the apostles, we see the disciples, Peter and John. What is it that they're doing? They're walking to the temple for prayer, for a church service daily. They see it and we see it in the New Testament. And so you see these rhythms and, and that are producing spiritual vitality for people. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to start doing come, come later today or, or literally tomorrow morning? Can you be the person who wakes up and says, okay, God, just a little bit more today. I'm giving you just a little bit more today. I'm going to take one step further. I'm going to read. I may not have 30 minutes to read a Bible, but I have five minutes. And is five minutes better than no minutes? Yes, it is. I don't know how to pray, but you know what? I've got some things, so I'm just going to get this out. Is talking to God for 30 seconds better than no seconds? Yes, it is. Is turning on a worship song and beginning to praise God in your car or in your kitchen or in your house a little bit better than never having anything that stirs your heart? Yes, it is. Can you take the 1%? and begin to step in just a little bit more this week. Can you do that? I think you can. In fact, if you want to get out of this chair, you want to feel God, start there. Father, thank you. Lord, I thank you that you draw close to us. And I also thank you, Lord, that you invite us to do, Lord, some of the lifting and some of the work. And you, you, you allow us to press into you. But God, sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we miss, Lord, that there is a responsibility of our part as well to pursue you. God, to step in, to, to wake up and to get out of our spiritual slumber. God, help us to be people who open the curtains of our hearts, Lord, and let the light of your Son, Jesus, shine and make us new and wake us up and to bring fresh passion to our hearts. God, I know how easy it is to just no longer care. God, to just no longer have a heart that beats for you. And God, I pray that in your mercy today, God, in your mercy that you would draw us. In your mercy that you would give us fresh wind and fresh energy and God, fresh passion to get up, to pursue you. God, I pray that you'd give us courage if we don't know how to pray or if we don't know where to read in the Bible or we don't know what to do. God, help us to be courageous enough to ask. God, we want to grow. So help us to do.